Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book study. My name is Monica T, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is February, Friday, the 19th, 2016. And today we are reading from the big book. We are reading from the chapter more about alcoholism. We will be starting our reading on page 33, the last paragraph. And today's readers are the 12 steps, Cheryl R., the 12 traditions, Barbara N., and our text readers are Chrissy M., Kathy K., and Gail T., and our newcomer greeter today is Devorah S., and I don't have the share code right at this moment. When it comes, I will give it for yesterday's meeting on Thursday. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Cheryl R. to read the 12 steps for us, please. Hi, Monica. Can you hear me? Yes. All Mm -hmm. right. This is Cheryl R. from Virginia. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Step ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Step eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Step 12, 
having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. With that, I pass. Thank you, Cheryl R. I will now ask Barbara N. to read the 12 traditions for us, please. Thank you, Monica. Good morning, everyone. This is Barbara N. in New York. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. With that, I pass. Thank you, Barbara N. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, somebody's unmuted. To share... Press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the person who is speaking, should be muted. So today, we are resuming our study of the big book. 
We are in the chapter more about alcoholism. We will begin our reading on page 33, the last paragraph, to be gravely affected. We will read two paragraphs, and comments will be taken on both paragraphs. And I will ask Chrissy M. to start reading for us, please. Yes, good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, this is Chrissy. I'm a recovered compulsive reader and anorexic from New Jersey in Florida today. Um, to be gravely affected, one does not necessarily have to drink a long time, nor take the quantity some of us have. This is particularly true of women. Potential female alcoholics often turn into the real thing and are gone beyond recall in a few years. Certain drinkers who would be great greatly insulted if called alcoholics are astonished at their inability to stop. We who are familiar with the symptoms see large numbers of potential alcoholics among young people everywhere, but try and get them to see it. As we look back, we feel we had gone on drinking many years beyond the point where we could quit on our own willpower. If anyone questions whether he has entered this dangerous area, let him try leaving liquor alone for one year. If he is a real alcoholic and very far advanced, there's scant chance of success. In the early days of our drinking, we occasionally remained sober for a year or more, becoming serious drinkers again later. Though you may be able to stop for considerable periods, you may yet be a potential alcoholic. We think few to whom this book will appeal can stay dry anything like a year. Some will be drunk the day after making their resolution, most of them within a few weeks. Hi, I'm Christy. I'm a compulsive, recovered compulsive over your interaction. I, this, this is really, um, really timely for me because I'm dealing I'm dealing with this in my own life, in my own personal life, with with a young person um, not ready to admit that that he's hit bottom. And so for myself, I look back because I was very young when I came into 12-step recovery, and I, I look at myself and I, I think, you know, the, the, the thing that sold me the most on the fact that I was at, at the very least a potential addict the thing that sold me the most is that I couldn't control it when I tried. So there are some, I know there are some people that it's still working for them. Their drug of choice is still working for them. And there aren't a lot of consequences. And and so giving it up isn't really that appealing because the consequences seemingly aren't that great. And we always we always are so optimistic when it comes to our disease, unfortunately, thinking like, we will be the ones that escape the addiction. You know, we will be the ones that will be able to take it or leave it alone. And so for me, I tried that in step in step one of the 12 and 12 where it says John Barleycorn became our best advocate. That that for me was, was the great, to try some controlled eating or contri- try some controlled exercise for me because I was exercise bulimic or, you know, to try to do like juice fasts and things like that, like other people. I can't do that stuff. That, that just goes, that just spirals down into, oh, well, maybe I don't ever have to eat again. 
and it just doesn't work for me, and I know that it doesn't. And I had to, I had to get to the point where it was life or death, and and I don't think everybody has to get to that point. I think that's what this, this, uh, this paragraph, these two paragraphs are saying. But it's, I'd like to hear what everybody else has to say about that because it's a really, really difficult. This is, this is the hardest thing to deal with with twelve steps to get people to see that before they're at death's door, they could stop. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Christy M. And we are going to be commenting on both on both uh, paragraphs that were read there this morning. Anne, who would like to comment this morning? Nessa R. Reva P. Reva. Larry. Larry. Oh, you all are being so nice to me this morning. <laughs> Okay, we'll start with that. Nessa, Reva, and Larry. Oops, somebody else trying to come in. Carolyn A. Leah M. Carolyn. Leah. Asa. Okay. All right. There's. Okay, let's go with this. Nessa, Reva, Larry, Carolyn, Leah, and Vaso. And you'll all please give us your uh, initials to your last name because I was writing so fast I didn't get them. All right, Nessa, you're up. Hi, good morning. This is Nessa R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Toronto, Canada. This is the first time in my um, almost 51 years of existence that I've been able to not only remain abstinent for over uh, four years, but maintain a, a weight release of over 70 pounds. Um, but the miracle of it is that I'm not um, white-knuckling. I'm not really um, forcing my abstinence or, 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 or keeping my, my weight down by doing weird things with uh, food and exercise and bulimia and all these things. It's just, uh, it's just easy. You know, the only thing that I'm doing is, is uh, the steps and uh, conscious contact with God. And, you know, I, in the, um, I guess in the light of that, the sentence that spoke to me is that um, in the early days of our drinking, we occasionally remain sober for a year or more, becoming serious drinkers again later. And that was never my experience. I don't think I, I was ever able to stay stopped um, for a year, um, let alone maintain a weight loss for a year. Um, you know. That to me is unfathomable. I, I think that I was a serious eater from, from the get-go, from, from my first memories. Um, you know, I, my, I, was, I was always fat. Uh, you know, my weight uh, refused to budge. Um, and any time that I went on a diet or exercise program, you know, that, I, I couldn't even keep that up for a month. So to me, a year is just mind-boggling. And now fast forward uh, to where I am today, um, four years in a, in a normal body size without being haunted by the food torture, you know, either uh, obsessing about what I'm going to eat or obsessing about what I'm going to do so I don't eat. This is, uh, this is the, the, um, the promise, the promise of this, of this program. I, I recommend it to anybody. We don't... We don't have to live like like uh, we used to anymore. I don't live like I used to anymore, totally dominated by the food, if not in practice, then in my mind, because 
even when I wasn't eating, even when I was thin, and, and, I, and there were periods of time when I was thin, although they were very, very, very brief, I was still dominated by the food, you know, and how to control it. And now I'm not, now this is a paradox. I'm not trying to control it anymore. Um, and, and it's in its proper place. It's just a way to nourish my body so I can have the energy to serve God and to help others. And this is such a beautiful way of living. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Nessa R. Reva P., you're up, and then it'll be Larry K. Good morning. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater with a bit of a cold in Toronto. Um, I am so passionate about these two paragraphs, and the two things I want to share on is, first of all, the phrase, um, to be gravely affected. One doesn't necessarily have to drink a long time or take the quantities that some of us have. I am so grateful that when I walked into my first meeting, um, you know, my food career includes anorexia and bulimia, and I gained weight in bulimia because it so does not work to keep the weight off. Um, But, you know, I didn't have to be 150 pounds overweight to be accepted in the door. Thank you, God, I walked into a meeting where I was told that I belonged to Um, And it also reminds me in step one in the AA 12 and 12, it says, you know, later on in the history of AA OA, there were people who still had two cars in the garage, their families, their jobs, but they were at the bottom um, of their drinking and they had reached their step one and it says, you know, we could raise the bottom. So I don't have to keep digging. I don't have to keep torturing myself. Whenever I'm ready to stop, that's when I can say enough. I'm ready to work the steps. And it doesn't matter um, what somebody's weight is, how old they are. This disease is all inclusive. It includes any age, any race, any um, any economic status. Like we're all eligible. And then the second part is, Um, you know, we sometimes realize or we realize that I was really sick way before I came in to program and I can see it in others. And then it says, but try and get them to see it. I can't give somebody their step one, their bottom. Um, And sometimes I need to suggest what it says, you know, go out and try some controlled um, eating and see how that works. I had to reach that myself. I am convinced. I couldn't control it for a day or an hour, let alone a year. That's like unfathomable. Um, And I can't give that to anyone. It's when it becomes objectionable to me and I'm gravely affected, means I'm dying. I just cannot go on anymore. That's when I stop. And it's the same with the defects. Um, And with that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. Larry Kay, you're up. And then it'll be Carolyn H. Good morning, Monica. Thanks for your service. Larry Kay, uh, Recovered Compulsive Reader. You know, uh, there's probably a few people on the line, maybe one or two that, um, you know, that, that, you know, they're in that gray sort of mental area of doubt, you know, and and the big book is giving us some more diagnostic uh, tools to examine the impact uh, that the substance has on us. you know, in, in other words, you, you know, there's there's moments where some of us are convinced that we just might not be a true compulsive overeater, and uh, 
you know, because, because, you know, maybe, maybe yesterday you were able to avoid picking up the, the chocolate bar, uh, or you're feeling fairly strong and the cravings aren't bothering you. You know, maybe, maybe I've got this deal under control. You're still a bit uncertain, you know, and here comes the words of the big book on us, right? You know, it says, if anyone questions whether he has entered into this dangerous area, let him try leaving liquor alone for a year. If he's a real alcoholic and very far advanced, there's great, you know, there's, uh, you know, we'll see what the, what the chances of success are. You know, a year, I, I was generally, you know, reaching into the bakery box within hours of making the resolution, you know, and um, I mean, it's simple enough, you know, and that we learned in the doctor's opinion that we, that an alcoholic has this allergy of the body. The, 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 the substance may taste good, but it's, it's a poison to us. We can never predict how much we're going to eat. It's always going to elicit that, bring about that phenomenon of craving. And if it were only a physical illness, you know, sobriety would be enough. You know, that day that you had yesterday, that'd be enough. But the problem is we also have this mental obsession. And, you know, it talks about the sensation is so elusive that no matter how bad it's kicking my butt, I can't, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. So unless I experience an entire psychic change, you know, we're, you know, this, this isn't going to happen, you know, but, but once, you know, once it does, then we cease thinking about ourselves only. I used to only think about myself all day long. It was exhausting. Now there's freedom from fear. There's an integration between what we, you know, what I'm thinking and what I'm doing. There's sort of that integration. I have a freedom from fear. That's the gift of this program. But if, if we don't get that, um, you know, until we get that, we're not going to surrender. And no surrender, no recovery, no work in the steps. It's, it's, it's quite simple. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Carolyn H., you're up, and then it'll be Leah M. Good morning. This is Carolyn H. from Massachusetts. Just, um, you know, the paragraph that punches me in the face is the one to be gravely affected, one does not necessarily have to drink a long time now, not take the quantity some of us have. This is particularly true of women. And for the longest time, I, I struggled with that. And um, when I found out that um, some of the cravings come from hormonal changes on a regular basis, um, I felt that um, I was justified in the way that um, I picked up and, and ate and did all the things that I did. And then I realized that as long as I could get through this on my own willpower, I was okay. But that never lasted long at all. And I would lose weight and I would be looking really good and then I would start all over again. And it was just a vicious cycle. And it wasn't until I realized that I needed a power greater than myself that could help me stay stopped, that could help me keep the food down, that could help me not want to pick up again. And that was the key, not want to pick up. It wasn't that I wanted to pick up. I didn't want to pick up, but my own free will allowed me to pick up because I didn't feel worthy of not wanting to pick up, of allowing the God of my understanding to help me. 
not want to pick up. And that was my biggest struggle for years. I came into program only needing to lose about 20 pounds. And in program, I had to lose over 120 pounds. And that's where I was when I finally allowed God to take over and to help me live the way he chose for me to live, not the way I wanted to live. And with that, I passed. Thank you, Carolyn H. Leah M., you're up, and then it'll be Vasa. Thank you so much, Monica. You know, the big book doesn't like to pronounce anyone an alcoholic, so they let us do our own self-diagnosis. A few pages ago, they had us test out, you know, the allergy of the body, you know, try to drink and stop abruptly. You know, does it trigger the phenomenon of craving, essentially? Uh, And here, they're testing, you know, the obsession of the mind. Can you leave it alone for a while? Um, And it says, though you may be be able to stop for a considerable period, you may yet be a potential alcoholic. And I relate to that because there were periods that I had controlled eating. Um, I did have those periods where I was able to stop and be abstinent for a period of time, and I was successful at that, and I lost weight at that, um, but I couldn't stay stopped. You know, quick compulsive overeating, uh, sure, you know, I've done it. I've done it thousands of times. You know, the, the, the bottom line is I can't stay stopped. I mean, I remember uh, when I was in college, I was about 18 years of age, and uh, I had been eating sanely for a number of months, you know, three meals per day, and I had reached goal weight, and, you know, I was certainly looking better and, you know, at times feeling better, you know, in general. Uh, but, you know, the time came where this thought kind of uh, danced across my mind that a candy bar would not hurt me. I'll just have one. I remember this like it was yesterday. And I stopped at the convenience store And this experiment of mine with this uh, king-size Snickers bar went so well that, um, you know, I finished off a bag of chips and a box of donuts, and then I went to the drive-thru, and then I sat in a, you know, in a car in a dark parking lot with three pints of ice cream on my lap and down that too. Um, You know, my sound reasoning failed. That insane idea won out again. And, you know, that is the essence of my disease. When I said I was not going to binge anymore, when I said I wasn't going to act like that anymore, eat like that anymore, lie about that anymore, I really, 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 really meant it. And then I ate again and again and again and again, and that is what it means for me to be a real compulsive overeater, that I have this Double whammy, as, as William Silkworth used to call it, uh, this allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And what the essence of the 12 steps is, what it does for me, is it removes the things that block me from the higher power deep down within me. And as soon as that block is removed, we have contact with that higher power. And as soon as we have contact with that higher power, we become sane. And becoming sane for a real compulsive overeater means that we no longer want to return to the foods and the eating behaviors that create those uncontrollable cravings. So hence the necessity and the urgency for the step process. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much. Thank you, Leah. Vasa O., you're up. 
Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Monica, for your service, and I'm grateful recovered compulsive overeater calling from Florida. And, yes, I was ready to admit I was powerless over the food when I came to my first meeting. I didn't know anything about the allergy. I didn't know anything about the mental obsession. Well, I knew about the mental obsession, but somehow I thought I, I, I need to stop it, you know. And I tried to, to control the food addiction for many years like everybody else. You know, everybody that shares, you're telling me my story. I could identify with every one of you. I could never put the food down for, for very long. And I, my addiction didn't kick in until I was 15 years old when we came in America. You know, before, you know, there wasn't much junk food in the whole country, so there was not even enough food for, for the family, you know. So when we came in America, that's when it started. And I've been a skinny child up to the time when we came in America. And uh, I gained 20 pounds in one month. So that was the beginning. I was probably born with the disease. I just did not know anything about the disease like this till I came to over here as anonymous. But anyways, I experimented. Oh, my goodness, I experimented with everything for 20 years, 25 years of my life. I could, I could be a nutritionist. I counted. I weighed and measured. When I went to the Weight Watchers, I knew what portions were. I knew it a lot. I knew it all, but I did not have the power you know, the strength to do it. I needed to find a power greater than myself to, to help me. And I had a, uh, a family member that came to OA for about a week, and, I mean, she is really sugar addict. You know, she couldn't put her down, you know. And the latest on, she said, are you still, are you, are you doing that just to say you're, you're abstinent or you've been put the food down, down you know? You know, I see. I couldn't confront. I couldn't speak up that much in those years. If she thinks it was so easy, you know, if you know, I'd love to see her do it. You know, by her own power, her own power. And you know, my whole family is struggling with with the food addiction. Not my not my children, but my brothers and you know, sisters, whatever. You know, and they all know what I'm doing. You know, I, I don't of it. I don't, you know, I've said a few times what I do. But anyways, I'm just so grateful I've been saved from this disease. And I did put the food down once for five weeks, uh, the sugars. And the mental obsession was unbearable. This was without the program before I came to Overeaters Anonymous. I almost went crazy. I went back to it. Thank you, and I passed. Thank you, Vasa. And would, I'll take, can we, we'll have a few more shares on this mm-hmm. before we move on. I Sally? didn't hear your name. Sally. Well, I heard somebody be- <laughs> I heard somebody G. before Sally. Carol G. Carol. Okay. Carol G. All right. Carol G, Sally, and Melissa. Go ahead, Carol. Thank you, Monica. Thank you for your service. Uh, good morning, Vision for You. It's Carol G, Compulsive Reader, Recovered for Today. Yeah, um, I think that the test that they're talking about here is the Marty Mann test. She was uh, the author of Women Suffer Too. You can find her story in the third edition of the big book. And, you know, I listened to that and I listened to um, the fact that we have to go out there and test. And in the past, when I was working with other people, I would always say, don't eat, don't eat, whatever you do, don't eat. And now I just say, go eat. (laughs) Um, You know, I don't have the power to stop you. And I actually thought I did. 
um, you know, I'm not the higher power. And, you know, it's wonderful to to be given all these tools, all these things, these things that we can use in the big book to help us. And one of the famous things that I used to do for myself was to try to eat far too much until I made myself so sick. I'd never want to do it again. And I got this idea from a really famous book in the 1980s. Make yourself really sick of all the, the foods that you can't stop eating and you'll you'll really never want to do it again. I just carried on eating. I, it never worked for me. And I just kept trying that over and over. I was convinced that some of the things that I was trying was going to work in the end, but it never worked. Um, one of the wonderful things that Martin Mann actually says in her uh, share, she talks about in her story, um, we desperately need a prop to keep going. And that was that was definitely what was going on with me. Um, since small childhood, I needed my prop. I needed it to get through my homework, my schoolwork, my youth, my teenage years, marriage, life, work, whatever it was. I always needed that prop and I just couldn't put that prop down. And then she goes on and talks about how what really she wanted to do was to to learn to stand on her own two feet and not exchange one prop for another. And she reminds me how that every time I put one prop down, it was like playing whack-a-mole. Something else would come up. I get addicted to money, addicted to work, addicted to sex, addicted to love, addicted to the next book, the next bestseller, whatever was going to save me. And in the end, I had to put all these things down, put them all aside and lay aside all my all the things that I'd ever tried to do to make myself sick, so sick and tired. I was already sick and tired. Why didn't I surrender a long time ago? I don't know. I was somebody who had to go on to the last gasp. But, uh, you know, we can, like it said, we can turn this around any moment we choose to, and I hope somebody does that for themselves today. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Carol. Sally A., you're up, and then it'll be Melissa C. Thanks, Monica, and good morning, A Vision for you. It's Sally A. in South Jersey, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I want to speak to this line in the early days of our drinking, blah, 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 in the early days of my eating. And I want to say that as I listen to people talk a lot of times on A Vision for You and, and, and in the rooms of OA for so many years, I was so busy comparing myself out that I wasn't identifying in. When I would hear people talk about these great binges that they had, first of all, I had it on my resentment inventory. I never got to have a banana split. I didn't have these these binges that people had because I did so much fasting in my youth. I had an incredibly slow metabolism. And for me to to do that kind of binging, I would have been way up in the 500 and 600 region pretty quickly. And fortunately for me, I was surrounded by these beautiful sisters in my family that always had me thinking that I was horribly obese because they were so gorgeous and skinny. And so I look at this concept that we talk about in this program. You know, we want to identify in, and we read these paragraphs, but the truth of the matter is I was so busy comparing myself to everybody else, and I was always thinking, oh, I wasn't that bad. <laughs> well, I, wasn't, I didn't eat like that. Oh, I never got that big. Oh, I never looked like that. Oh, I never had that kind of a binge. I was so busy comparing myself out that I wasn't identifying in. I wanted to belong, but my pride kept me in this place where I didn't fit in. I didn't fit in with you guys because I didn't binge like you guys. 
And yet, in secret, I had my own level of binges. And so when I read these, these lines here in the early days of our eating, in my case of my binging, we occasionally remain sober for a year or more. Well, I, I had five years of white-knuckling abstinence, and I was such a sick puppy. I was so mentally ill in my thinking. I was so wrapped around wanting more, 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 but was so busy comparing my way out and not identifying in. Though you may be able to stop for a considerable period, maybe you're like me and you had considerable periods. Maybe you had a few months. And then on the weekend, after those two months, you were back in the food and you gained more than you could have possibly have lost in those two months. The truth of the matter is, as you read this and as you look at your own story, are you a normal eater? And if you're not sure, if you're white-knuckling it, I'll end with that, if you find yourself still struggling and still trying to figure it out, go ahead. Go out and just try some more, quote, normal eating because this is a progressive illness and it will become clear. You don't have to gain 100 pounds. You don't have to be in a dark parking lot. Thanks, Monica. I'll, I'll just pass with that. Thank you. Thank you, Sally A. Melissa C., you're up, and then we're going to go on with Kathy K. Hi. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C. Recovered compulsive over here in New York. And, um, you know, I'm thinking about early in my eating career, um, you know, there were periods of time that I could put it down. It wasn't easy. It was hell. It was torture. Um, but I traded the um, obsession food for the obsession of the scale and the obsession of a size and the obsession of looking a certain way for an event. So I really wasn't putting anything down. I was sort of trading. And um, and yet the pull of the food always, you know, brought me back so that the size, the scale, the dress, the event lost all importance um, because I was going to just have this little bit because I had success on the scale, and um, and then, you know, I had no ability to rein it back in. And um, I just love how, how we really are um, given the beautiful freedom of self-diagnosis because um, you can't tell me anything. You know, that is my stubborn mind. Don't tell me what I have. Don't tell me what I don't have. Uh, and, yeah, that's right. Don't tell me what I have because I need to figure it out. And um, and that's really um, what I try to carry when I work with other people, that I cannot diagnose them. I can't tell them what their binge foods are. I can't tell them what their alcoholic behaviors are. I can share mine, you know, and um, and usually I get a, oh, yeah, I've done that. And, and that, you know, and that's enough. But our diagnosis really has to come you know, on our on ourselves. And um, you know, yesterday at work I was talking with someone who's been asking me, you know, questions and she doesn't look, you know, white the disease doesn't look like if she has it, it doesn't look like it's run its course on her physically the way it did with me. But when she asked me some questions and I was able you know, I said to her, see if you can take a device and then put it down. See if you can leave it alone entirely, you know, 
for a year, for a month. And, you know, I saw a look of panic on her face. And so, you know, that's all I have to do today is to just carry the message. And, and thank you with that off hand. Thank you, Melissa. And Kathy Kay, would you read for us, please? Thank you, Monica, for your service. For those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. We are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. Whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not. Many of us felt we had plenty of character. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. And this is Kathy Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, that last two sentences, we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. As I continue to work the steps and as I continue to sponsor other people, um, this step one, really coming to terms with our powerlessness, um, is is a challenge. It's difficult because of the patterns that we've read about, where people can keep um, can leave alone the food for a while, but then for reasons unknown, they pick up again. And um, that movement from step one to step two, where we begin to define and rely on a higher power is so critical and so difficult. Um, and I know that for me the pillars of, of arriving there include being honest and accepting my powerlessness and being willing to surrender to the truth, which is that I cannot control my eating. Um, for someone like me who had periods of abstinence, it took a long time for me to finally admit um, that I would eventually go back to the food without developing a connection with a higher power who could bring me to sanity when it comes to the food. So this is yet another description of how powerless we really are and the need and the dire necessity to find a power outside ourselves, ourselves who can help us recover. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy Kay. Hi, and who would Naomi, like to comment? Naomi, please, could I share? Naomi. Thank you. Judy. Judy. Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay, I heard Naomi, and then there was two people in between. James. James. Okay. And the other person again? Kim. Kim. Alice. Alice M. No. Kim, Alice. Okay, yeah. Naomi, James, Judy, Kim, Alice M. I still. Okay, Last let's hand. go with that. Let's go with that, and we'll then we'll see how our time is going. Okay, Naomi, James, Thank Judy, Kim, you. and Alice. Naomi, you're up, and then it'll be Thank James. You. 
Thank you, Monica. Can you hear me okay? I want to make sure. I'm... Yeah. Yep. Okay, good. Yes. <clears throat> Thank you. My name is Naomi B., a grateful recovered compulsive overeater outside Philadelphia. You know, these paragraphs really, it, they, just, they just spell what I've, I've lived in my life. I've been a compulsive eater my entire life. And medically, I had my stomach altered, thinking this would help. And I was the one that <clears throat> controlled it for a year. But as it turned out, that was fake. Because, yes, it worked for the year. But then after that, because of the compulsion that's in my brain, the obsession of the brain, and then the allergy of the body, I was able to, yes, I did, I, excuse me, I did lose 60 pounds. But on my own accord, I was able to put 35 pounds back on. So the controlling of this, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and this insidious disease is just void, void of any kind of reality because this baffling feature of alcoholism, that's what it was. That's what it was for me. I knew that I was going to have, in my mind, that's where my problem is, in my mind, that this problem was going to be solved. My stomach was altered, and I was going to have a reprieve for the rest of my life. And that didn't happen because it was all fake, it was all false, and I'm the real deal. And because of that, I was able to, okay, I couldn't eat the volume of the quantities like it says here back on 33 about, about the quantities, you know, not necess- necessary to drink a long time, nor the quantities. My quantities were altered, but I was able to have a lot of small portions of the same substance that was killing me. And if there's anyone on the line that is thinking about any kind of bariatric surgery, it's not the way. It is absolutely not the way. The only way is working these steps, relying on God, and following this program, as it's stated in the big book. Thank you for allowing me to share, and I pass. Thank you, Naomi B. James, you're up, and please tell us your last initial. Thank you. This is James C. from Ohio, recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, whether such a person can quit um, upon non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent which he has already lost the power to choose whether whether to drink or not. Many of us felt that we had plenty of character, and there was a tremendous urge to cease forever. And I, this is a real standout. Um, I thought this was interesting. I, I think I look back on my own life while I was displeased with myself, didn't like the way I looked, didn't like the way I presented myself in my own skin, although I look for tolerance and mercy out of others to kind of look past that. And it was interesting in, in that whenever somebody took a picture or anybody, or I saw myself in, in a mirror or, or yeah, it, regardless, what I really looked like, it was, it was a real shocker. I did not like where I was at. And I started to ask the question. I had to ask the question, you know, why, why is what I'm doing not working on a non-spiritual basis? And just because I had character, because I had integrity, at least the integrity that I could shovel up and present before people that liked me, but just because I had character, I was nice, I could present myself nice, I could convince people of things, concepts, ideas, even minister the word. Um, those things really didn't help me as an individual, myself, through this problem. So I had to ask the deeper question, where was I at with all of this mess? And I thank God for this program because it really levels that pride where we we know what the problem is. We know we were not successful in and of ourselves. 
we know that whatever we pick up um, is only a temporary respite or a temporary resolve, but we know that we can't get further down the road because, you know, every year I was getting bigger. Every year I gained more weight. Every year I had something more that I had to make an excuse for why I didn't feel good, why I didn't like myself. And, and the how I lived was how I lived at home. But as I presented myself before others, you know, I, and again, I just wanted to hit this, this point about the character. You know, a, a lot of us have great qualities, great character, great integrity, could be trusted with a million dollars. If I found a wallet in a grocery cart, I'd return it in a heartbeat. No consideration for stealing anything other than maybe lying to myself or to others about the food, the condition, and where I was at with myself. And so this character was never really a good excuse for me to get by or get a pass or a hall pass down the road or God's grace upon my life because I was a nice guy. This thing, this disease doesn't get you, you uh, doesn't, doesn't forgive you because you're a nice person, a good person. But because of the program, there's been a real great self-leveling, a great exhortation of who God is with a spiritual solution. And um, I just love the program. I thank God for uh, going on and where I'm at thus far. And uh, with that, I pass. Thank you, James C. And just a gentle reminder, please, if you are not speaking, please keep your phone muted. Okay, we're moving on to Judy, and then it'll be Kim. Judy, Hi. you're up. Hi, Monica. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Great. Thank you, Monica. This is Judy F., a compulsive reader recovered in Massachusetts. And good morning, visionaries. Um, this sentence, this is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. So here we have, this is why this disease, it took me so long to surrender to um, that I have this disease because I did a was able to do a lot of great things in my life with my willpower. But when I didn't want to pick it up and I ended up over and over, no matter how long, sometimes after a day, sometimes I would go a couple of months just being um, and usually in the summertime and I'd, be, I'd have my mind set on over-exercise and, and dieting and just keeping myself up with that. But there was always a time where I then had to have it, and it overrode the, the thought that this is going to be the solution. This is what I need to get through this, in, um, this situation, or I'm just going to join in like everybody else because I went two months without having it, so it's not a problem. I would never want to be fat again, so I'm not going to keep eating, and there I was this utter inability to leave it alone. And that's what happened in the progression of my disease, that it went um, daily. I couldn't go an hour without picking up some form of my allergic food. And then I was off and running. And this is the baffling nature. We We have a lot of willpower and a lot of the rest of my life. But when it comes to the food and to my binge foods, and that all the different ways of trying to control it. And I heard once someone say, if I even try to control my food intake or getting rid of my food once, then I have this thing. Now, I was always looking at, well, I, I 
I would look at the one time that I waited one day or a week and I don't have this thing. But if I have one time that I don't have a choice, that I have to have it, even if I don't want it, even if I know, I would write out all the consequences and I still would pick it up. And that's the progression of this disease. And that's why only a higher power. I had to go to a therapist, all different diets, church, everything. This was the last stop. God was the last stop. But thank you, God, I, I hit that bottom and I was willing to pick up the steps and to follow directions. And to then I knew to go to step two that I needed a higher power, something greater than myself or other people. And I'm grateful for that. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Judy S. Kim G., you're up. And then if we have time, it'll be Alice M. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Unable to drink moderately, lost the power of choice to drink, the utter inability to leave it alone. I mean, they're really slamming home this powerlessness. You know, it talks here about if you're able to quit on a non-spiritual basis. Well, what does that mean? You know, unfortunately, I think that's a lot of the, the, the things that I heard in the meeting, you know, heard in OA, it's 90 and 90, don't drink, go to meetings. You know, if I'm able to do that, because that's a non-spiritual basis, people who come into Overeaters Anonymous and they're handed a food plan and they're given group support and they're okay, meaning that they're abstinent and they're happy, that's a non-spiritual basis. That is not someone that needs this book the way I need this book. That's not someone who is a compulsive overeater of the type I am or the compulsive overeater of the type the doctor's opinion describes. Because it's telling me I have lost the power of choice in drink. It's telling me I am unable to drink moderately, and I, am, I have an utter inability to leave it alone. So when I hear things like think the drink through or play the tape all the way to the end, that means I have the power of choice. I am not powerless at that point. So I had to ask myself, am I of the class of alcoholic that is unable to drink moderately? That means I can never have those foods again because my body is mandated to have that phenomenon of craving. You know, if I've lost the power of choice, it means I can't get up in the morning and just say, today I choose not to eat. The utter ability to leave it alone means no matter how much weight I've lost, how long I've been abstinent, that my mind is going to convince me to go back to that drink. You know, we often hear, keep it green. And what that meant to me in the rooms was I have to tell my story. I have, I have to live those war stories. I have to remember my last drunk. To me, the, as a student of the big book, the way I keep it green is by working with others, by telling my stories to help someone else. It's by actively engaging in these steps that I keep it green. Keep it green doesn't mean just listening to like, you know, how someone's been 700 pounds and I'm afraid to have that happen to me or trying to remember that last time I was in a convenience store and just using that memory to marshal my will in order to not eat. So I have to ask myself at this point, am I of the class that is unable to drink moderately? Am I of the class that has lost the power of choice to drink? Am I of the class that I have had an utter ability to leave it alone? And if that is my reality, 
Absence is not going to be my answer. I'm going to have to get down to causes and conditions. I'm going to have to work these steps, and I'm going to have to get a connection with a power greater than myself because in and of myself, I am powerless. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. And I am sorry, Alice M. and Roxanne, we have come to the end of our time here this morning. And I would like to thank you, everyone who has shared. And please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Gail T., could you read for us, please, from A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. You want me to start from our book is meant to be suggestive, correct? Correct. Okay. This is Gail T., Central Texas. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask God in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answer will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with God is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to God and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.